Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, guys. I'm Jim. I'm the uh, Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at JimKnight88. Hi, yeah. I'm Peter Johnson from TigerLink, the whole city representative on the Roundtable. Um, I'm editor of City fans group Tigerlink. You can get us on www.tigerlink.co.uk. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Uh, Jim, we'll start off with you. Uh, not exactly the result you would have liked against Chelsea, although uh, possibly predictable that they were going to bounce back after their previous loss. Oh. Um, for, for neutrals that haven't really kept up on Leicester thus far, uh, talk us through that match and on the whole why you've kind of fallen a bit short. Um, yeah, it's two very different conversations, I think, the why we've fallen a bit short and why we kind of didn't live up to perhaps expectations against Chelsea, however low those expectations were. Um, the dominating factor of in, in the build-up of the game was the kind of apparent falling out of Diego Costa with uh, Antonio Conte and this big kind of rumoured move to China and various amounts of ludicrous money being banded around by newspaper outlets and websites and everything else. Um, that kind of, I suppose, almost seems to distract um, everyone from the fact that Chelsea were, you know, had just been stopped on this 14-game unbeaten run and they came to Leicester and I think it maybe gave everyone at the King Power a little bit of hope that because they hadn't got their kind of 14-goal leading frontman with them, um, for whatever reason, we might be able to take something from the game. That swiftly disappeared for me about an hour before kickoff when I saw the team sheet and spent a good 10 minutes trying to work out what formation Claudio Ranieri was actually trying to play. Um, I'd suspected we were going to go three in the middle because that had been quite successful in the cup win at Everton. Um, and because of the fact that we've now got Wilfred and Didi into the team and uh, Napoli's Mende is showing something like uh, fitness, whereas previously we thought he'd been made of some kind of very weak brand of straw. Um, we thought we might be able to get away with playing three in the middle. And obviously that would help a little bit with Chelsea's 3-4-3. Maybe we could get a bit of an overload with Danny Drinkwater making up the, the third central midfielder uh, and put some pressure on Chelsea's uh, middle two, of course, containing N'Golo Kante. Now, I was struggling to work out what formation the players were supposed to be playing. And I think the players were struggling to work out what kind of formation they were meant to be playing too. Um, the game started pretty badly. We had one half-decent chance, actually, uh, which Ahmed Musa fired straight at, at uh, Thibaut Courtois. But following that, we just had a series of defensive errors and just seemed to be very, very um, off the pace. I don't, you know, I don't know whether it was the fact that we had played the cup game and maybe that had lulled us into this false sense of security. My overriding feeling is that the, the way we approached the game to go essentially 3-5-2, but with 
one of the three centre-backs being uh, Christian Fuchs, who's very much not a, a centre-back, um, and playing him on the left side of a three with Robert Hooth and, um, and Wes Morgan seemed to just confuse the issue a little bit. No one seemed to know kind of how they were supposed to be set out, um, who was covering where. That also meant that we were playing Mark Albright and more as a kind of de facto wing-back than his normal advanced attacking uh, winger role. Uh, so he was um, nullified by and large as well going forward. And he's not the most defensive-minded player. Um, ironically, we probably sold one of the players that could have fit into that role um, with Jeff Schlupp. Yeah. Went to Palace this week. And yeah, his performances recently haven't been brilliant. And I'm not particularly disappointed that he's gone. But if you're looking at a fullback, uh, albeit a left-sided one rather than a right-sided one, who could have done a job both attacking and defensively, he's normally the go-to candidate for a utility player like that. Um, so yeah, Marcus Alonso got on the back of a, a set piece where no one seemed to be organised. Um, the ball dropped to him and he put it away quite neatly. The first half kind of petered out after that. No one really seemed to be organised. Second half, again, six minutes into the second half, happened again. He got a, a scuff shot from the edge of the area, which um, which dribbled past Kasper Schmeichel. Perhaps he could have done better, got a bit of a stronger hand to it. Did get a deflection, so it's difficult to blame it all on the keeper. But um, I think he will personally feel he probably should have done better. And that really took the sting out of the game. Um, it was more just a case of us avoiding a, a bigger margin of defeat, really. From then on, we never really looked like winning the game. Tried to make a few changes. Um, bizarrely substituted Robert Huth for Shinji Okazaki, um, which meant that we were even more confused about what formation we were playing. Um, I was just flabbergasted, sat there in the stands looking at this team who were just looking at each other in bemusement, really, um, which is unusual because Claudio normally has this team very well drilled. And obviously one of the big parts of our success last year was a very well-organised 4-4-2. Uh, Pedro got on the score sheet to, to complete the 3-0. But in truth, we never really looked like scoring and it could have been worse. Um, so, yeah, it was a pretty disappointing 90 minutes. And I think one that Claudio is going to have to address um, if he does want to implement this this three five two formation, which almost seems to be put into place to try and keep both Ben Chilwell, who's a very uh, promising emerging left back, um, and Christian Fuchs happy. But what it did really was take away from various other players that were playing out of position, including Fuchs, um, and make us a lot more vulnerable to what is essentially a very well organised Chelsea team. And obviously, they're seven points clear at the top of the table now. Um, and looking every inch kind of title champions. Um, so it's it's very, very difficult to take too much out of the game because you don't know how we would have reacted against a, a lesser opponent, as it were. Uh, but yeah, it was a pretty demoralising uh, 90 minutes. And certainly after the win at Everton, I think we'd we'd, he we'd held out hope for a little bit more, um, not necessarily a win, but just to show a little bit more fight, especially after uh, beating them last year at home. Um, I think a few people had hopes that we could pull another Man City, if you like, and turn the tables um, against a more well-fancied opponent. Mm. Yeah, um, you mentioned Jeff Slop's departure. Obviously, he's gone to Crystal Palace, where they need a left-back and a left-winger, as they've lost Zaha uh, for the duration of AFCON. Uh, do you have a sense of where you think they may deploy him? Um Obviously, he can play both. I've said this a few times um, on the pod, but he basically begun life as a striker. Um, so he, he's very forward-minded, and I'd say he's definitely more the winger mould than the fullback. But he's played a, a, the vast majority of his football at fullback for the last kind of three, three and a half years um, at Leicester. So you know he can be be utilised in both. I did see that they were quite heavily linked with um, Patrice Evra as well. So if they manage to pick him up, then obviously I guess that by 
you know, by definition, makes Schlupp the left winger, which he's very, very capable of. His execution is and decision making at times is is pretty poor. I think obviously he's not he's not an upgrade on Zaha by any means, but in terms of a short term replacement for the next month and someone who can hit the ground running and has got that Premier League experience, I guess he fits the bill and he's a good squad utility player because he can drop back and play that fullback role. Although for us, he's always played. Um, you know, well, normally he's played as um, more of a fullback than a, a kind of out and out left back. And if they are going to carry on playing like a, a flat back four, um, then he's probably not the player to fill that void, which is, I guess, why they're still going after um, left sided defensive targets like Evra. So, yeah, I'd say he can do a job in both. Um, perhaps that's his issue. Perhaps if he focused more on one position, he, he would be better at that one. But he certainly probably poses more of a threat going forward than he, he does in terms of defensive stability, I'd say. Well, fair enough. I'm sure Jay will uh, enjoy listening to us talk about <laughs> that. Um, Peter, on to you now. Because uh, Hull went out and won a Premier League match, which uh, is of note in and of its own. Uh, we did talk about uh, who you were going to be bringing in as your manager. Now you have officially announced that it is Marco Silva. This was his first match in charge for you. So yeah, how optimistic are people over at the KCOM right now? Yeah, well, I think the first thing to say is that the arrival of Marco Silva has provided a massive boost, an absolutely massive boost to the club and the fans, because it's come at a time when things on, on, on and off the pitch were still a very low ebb. Uh, I'll talk a bit about on the pitch shortly, but just... Briefly again off the pitch, we have this ongoing situation which is uh, well highlighted by uh, Ollie Holt in his Mail on Sunday article today which shows that at last the national media are actually looking at Hull City and explaining to the wider public what's been happening over the last three years. We have owners who've taken on a new manager which we're all very pleased with having sacked Mike Phelan Uh, And that's incredibly positive, and we're going to be 100% behind him. But the backdrop to that was the departure of Phelan, who's been messed around something rotten for four months. And Marco Silva's first game in charge was boycotted by Hull City fans. The FA Cup victory over Swansea saw just 6,608 come through the, the gate. And the reasons for that boycott can't be explained in the time I have available on this podcast. But basically, our owners are still working against the fans and against the long-term interests of the club. So for a manager to come into that environment and have any sort of success would be remarkable. So for Marco to come in and win an FA Cup game, lose only 2-0 at Manchester United with a patched-up side and then beat a reasonable Bournemouth side 3-1 in his first Premier League game is, I would say, remarkable. Uh, He's already said that that he thinks it may be a minor miracle if we stay up. And I think if he does keep us up or even go close, then he should get a mention in passing as the manager of the season. Just to talk a little bit more about the game... Uh, yesterday. (coughs) Excuse me. First of all, we went into the game with the departure of Ahmed El-Mohamedi and 
Mbakani, Giamessi Mbakani to the African nations sort of accentuated the problem we've got at right back because have a long-term injury to Moses Odebaja, which was probably who was probably our most consistent player last season in the championship. So with the departure of um, El Mohamedi, we have no right back really at the club of note. And because of that, we're looking at the likes of, I think, Blackburn's Jason Lowe and uh, Fenerbahce's defender, uh, Gregory van der Veel. Um, hey. But um, for the moment, we had big Harry Maguire playing at right back on Saturday against um, Bournemouth. So it was a remarkable performance, really, to, to play as well as we did with what was really a, a makeshift right back and a side that was carrying a lot of... A lot of injuries, really. I mean, Curtis Davis and, and uh, Michael Dawson played, but they didn't play at Manchester United on Tuesday, and they are carrying injuries. So we were a patched-up side. But we showed incredible spirit. And it was the classic example of a game where the non-struggling side started and in the first 20 minutes looked a class above but then work rate and spirit and the home crowd slowly allowed us to ease back into the game. And a couple of class finishes from Abel Hernandez showed what we can do when we do have a decent striker up front in form and fit, which we simply haven't had for a long time now. And it's given great hope and belief to the fans, I think. But it doesn't, it only parks temporarily the off-field issues. And I think everybody would be very happy and optimistic that we would give it a good go to stay up, were it not being for this underlying tension that you've got madcap owners who at any point may actually do something really strange or cut the money or whatever. It's not clear whether Marco Silva will have significant money to spend. We have acquired Umar Nayas from... Everton on loan, striker, and um, Evandro Goebel, who we got from Porto, who's an attacking midfielder. But that hasn't come from a huge outlay of money. So the big question is, will Marco get the money that poor Mike Phelan was denied? And what is happening with our owners? Are they now staying? Do they want to sell? Are they working now in the best interests of the club because of all the national publicity? Will there be more boycotts by the fans? Will success on the pitch create a sort of smoke screen over the off-pitch issues until the close season? It's still a very confused picture. But what I can say is that for the first time on Saturday in a long time, we did beat Southampton a few weeks ago, but having started badly and conceding a penalty when big Harry Maguire, playing out of position at right back, uh, hacked down Fraser, I think, of Bournemouth. It looked like, oh dear, here we go again, because we've given away, I think, nine penalties, ten penalties, something like that in the Premier League this season. And we just seem to give a penalty away just about every other game, which I think is statistically what we have done. So to come from behind... And win 3-1 at home was a huge thing for us because in recent times, if we've conceded a goal, generally speaking, the heads have dropped. And this time, somehow, Marco Silva has really got 
really got the team playing and it was a, it was a wonderful wonderful performance on Saturday. We are still a bit short of quality in a lot of areas, but we're not that bad a side. And the important thing about this victory was it keeps us in touch. It takes us off the bottom, it makes us third bottom, and results went our way. Obviously, Swansea and Sunderland both lost and lost badly. And I think at this stage of the season, when you are fighting a relegation battle, and we have some experience of it, it's about keeping in touch, keeping the crowd on board, and showing that you've got that that spirit in your club. And I think, you know, like from Swansea's point of view, a 4-0 home defeat, you know, we haven't had something as bad as that in recent times. We've performed pretty well. And I hope we can do that in these crucial games that are coming up because we've got Chelsea away next Sunday. And then I forget the order, but basically we're playing Arsenal, Man U, Liverpool, Yes, uh, Chelsea, United, uh, Liverpool, Arsenal. Yeah, nice easy set of fixtures for Marco Silva <laughs> to enjoy. And I think one of the big things, maybe we've, you know, it's a cliche, but we've created some momentum. Now, if we then do go down to defeat in these games against uh, top flight clubs, can he harness that momentum, keep it going, keep the players level-headed and keep moving forward? Because... Bigger games will lie ahead. I still think it's a massive, massive challenge to stay in this division. But I don't think we are any longer looking the worst side in the Premier League. I think just before Christmas, we were looking the worst side. But I would now say there are four or five sides who I'm looking at and I'm saying, do you know what? I think we look better than them at the moment. So I think we've turned a bit of a corner. It's whether we hit, you know, walk into a brick wall or manage to keep moving forward during the next few fixtures. But uh, fantastic to report some positive stuff from the <laughs> from the KCOM Stadium. I yeah. have talked at length on this podcast about the underlying problems, and I don't want to bore pe- people too long with that. But it is important to grasp that when you have that underlying problem, you are a little bit guarded about your optimism. But the crowd left on Saturday singing loud, you know, singing, we've got Marco Silva. Uh, It's not been like that for a long time. And whatever the background in terms of ownership, there is belief back in the hearts of Hulse defence. For Tottenham, it was also a very fun day. Uh, Beating West Brom uh, on Saturday morning. Well, morning here, early afternoon there. Um, and uh, it's a team that we've struggled against a lot of late is West Bromwich Albion. And the fact that we were able to, to turn them over so uh, easily, dare I say, um, was absolutely great to see. I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, that that's the best 90 minutes of football we've played this season. Uh, that's arguable. We also did very well against City. But, you know, in context, we thought that was going to be, be a very good Manchester City team, which perhaps after <laughs> today. Uh, we're starting to see really isn't. Um, but I agree. It was 90 minutes of nearly perfect football from us. Uh, they did not get a shot on target. <laughs> they did not get a corner in this match. Uh, our center backs were constantly in their half, which is even more impressive when you consider that we're using a back three. So typically you just want your wing backs to be the ones getting forward, but everybody was having a go. Uh, Bertongen got fair, a fair bit, uh, kind of reminded us of the 2012-2013 season. Uh, particular goal against Swansea comes to mind where uh, Bale and Vertonghen played a 1-2 that led to Vertonghen 
and scoring a goal from open play. And we were all like, uh, <laughs> why are you up there? Um, it kind of felt like that. Unfortunately, he was not able to score. But And even more unfortunately, did pick up uh, what we fear to be ankle ligament damage. Uh, the upside there being that in a back three, Ben Davis is used to playing that position for Wales. And Kevin Vimmer, who filled that role uh, for Vertonghen last year, carried us through eight matches. And uh, we actually advanced in position in the league over that period. So really hope that Vertonghen gets better soon. He's been very, very good for us this season. Last year, some people were saying he was kind of living in, in Alderweireld's shadow. shadow. But um, when Alderweireld was out this season, Yen uh, uh, really stepped up and showed just how important he is to this team. I mean, this is a player that was in the Premier League team of the year, his first year in the league. Uh, and I know he hasn't really continued to develop the way many thought. It looks like this is the player he's going to be, but he's still a darn good center back um, and has been a part of the best <laughs> Premier League defense for two years in a row now. Um, so do hope he gets better. Uh, as far as the attack went, Del Ali and Christian Eriksen kept moving all over the pitch, dragging defenders pretty much wherever they wanted, which is just so, so dangerous, not knowing where those two are going to be. Uh, and because of that, it opened up some lanes for Harry Kane, who got some of his first clear-cut chances that he's had in a while. Um, converting three of them uh, is about as good as you're going to do on the day, although we genuinely could have had a lot more. Ben Foster had eight saves in a match that we already won 4-0. Um, so it could, could have looked much, much worse. Um, I think Ben Foster got uh, their man of the match, or the man of the match period. I don't remember. I saw something about that, and I was like, yeah, that honestly wouldn't be the, <laughs> that surprising if he won man of the match on the whole, because uh, it would have looked a much, much worse scoreline. Um, but Kane scoring a hat trick. Same week he had his first kid. I think is always really fun. Uh, Kyle Walker was asked in his post-match interview why they didn't do the baby celebration. And he just said Harry Kane didn't want to. And you got to respect that because it's an awful celebration. And I've always hated it. Not to hate on people's joy. I've just never been a fan. Um, so Harry Kane Hattrick, very, very pleased with that. Uh, the tactic on the whole, this three at the back, does seem to be our default at this point. And I, I've talked to a couple of Spurs fans the last couple of days um, about the fact that uh, Danny Rose and Kyle Walker in this formation with three at the back where they're allowed to get forward even more than they used to when we played four has offered something to Tottenham that we have not had in my memory as a Spurs fan. And that is the ability to break down teams that set up to defend. We used to always struggle against that. Erickson used to always struggle in those matches. We became very static. Um, it was the kind of match where we did rely on Chadley because he's more of a willing runner. Uh, but we didn't really have people challenging the defense enough uh, to create space, which is when Erickson really shines. Uh, and the fact that we can constantly have Kyle Walker and Danny Rose stretching the defense back and out opens up just enough space for Della Ali to drag people around, for Erickson to find the gaps, and for Harry Kane to maybe get isolated on one center back instead of two. And the fact that this formation has done that and done it reliably, because, you know, we didn't just play West Brom, who, you know, are a very good defense in their own right, but... We won 2-0 against Chelsea the previous week. Um, so seeing this reliably work against the exact kind of setup that we used to struggle against so much is very, very promising. The fact that we're willing to change formations is equally promising. Mauricio Pochettino, I've mentioned on the show before, used to be entirely married to the 4-2-3-1. Being willing to shift has obviously opened a lot of new doors for us this season. And I think we're seeing what I mentioned last season, which was... This Tottenham team and Mauricio Pochettino were only ever going to get better, but our best chance to win the title was still last season. Um, just because the teams that dropped away, uh, you would have expected to do better then, but then Leicester 
took advantage of the same thing and ended up winning, which I'm going to kindly remind Jim of because things aren't that great over there right now. Uh, very, very pleased with the direction the club is going in. We're on a six-match win streak, uh, 19 goals scored and three conceded over that period. Like I said, found our best formation. The yawn injury does hurt that, but we have people willing to step in and able to step in. And the, while the quality does drop, the system doesn't really drop on the whole. Uh, and Harry Kane now has the second most goals uh, in the Premier League, uh, 13, despite missing seven matches already. Uh, so if he turns it on the way he has in the past, he he may just walk the golden boot yet again this season, which would obviously be a terrific accomplishment to see uh, from another or from a Tottenham player yet again. All right, and uh, now we will get into the topic, which uh, we've, we've been doing a whole bunch of midseason things. We did a midseason special with Dave Hendrick uh, in the middle of the week. Kind of continuing with that theme, we are still in the transfer window, but how is your team doing with reaching their season-long objectives? Uh, we'll lead off with you, Jim. Obviously, coming into the season, it was very exciting that you were in the Champions League. You continue to succeed in that competition. The Premier League, which we already touched on, not so much uh, but how is the season compared to what you expected coming into the year? It's difficult to quantify because I think, as you said, the, the expectation was so high based on the fact of, of last year. And that's always going to be the way with the majority of football fans. You know, we've been booed off the pitch a couple of times this year at home, which just beggars belief. Even if we were bottom of the league, I would expect our fan base to to still show the, the, the support to the team. And yeah, mm. there have been some disappointing performances, but as with you know football in general, you're only as good as your last kind of 90 minutes, which for us, there have been a few highlights, noticeably kind of Man City and a couple of other decent performances at home. But other than that, really, the away form's really been pretty, pretty awful. Um, still haven't won away in the league this year which was the kind of um, the bedrock almost of our um, of our title win last year. So we, we were do, doing the business at home, but where a lot of teams were dropping points away. Um, the Champions League is obviously the priority and the fact that we've got through the, the, the group stage almost as, as winners, I would say, almost makes this season a success in the sense that we're almost certainly never going to play in that competition again. Um, you know, even if we make significant investment in our, our squad again in the next 18 months to two years, we're still going to be dwarfed by the wage bill, the um, buying potential and, you know, the, the transfer funds of the big six or the big seven, um, you know, the, the top six or seven clubs in the Premier League are all going to outspend us, you know, by a significant margin um, overall each season. So I would say we're still uh, relatively happy and um, we have got a bit of a cushion to the, the, the relegation zone. Obviously, Hull uh, have started to pick up some points as well. So that gap could close if, if they and Crystal Palace keep kicking on or if Crystal Palace start kicking on um, and, and Hull continue their decent start under uh, Marco Silva. So, you know, we're not safe yet by any means. I think we've got 21 points, which is where whereabouts you would be targets in 40 um, at this time of the season. Obviously, it would be nice to have a few more on the board and not have to look over our shoulders um, even if it is a five-point gap down to the bottom three. I'm confident we'll stay up. Uh, we may well make a few investments still in January. I think Ndidi is a big signing um, for filling that void left by N'Golo Kante. I think Mendy has, has started to look good, but again, his injury problems mean that we haven't really been able to assess his credentials quite yet, and Ndidi's made a promising start. So if we can just kind of make ourselves a little bit solid and dip more difficult to beat, which has kind of been the main issue this year, the defence that was so good last year has, has looked pretty vulnerable. 
um, for the last 20 odd games um, in in the league. There is now the question of a cup run as well. Um, obviously, we're, we're through to the fourth round of the FA Cup um, and we have got Derby County away, which is a huge, uh, you know, big star on the calendar for Leicester being as they're, you know, one of our local rivals. I'd say it's them and Nottingham Forest, the two teams that, that we would want to play away the most in those kind of grudge matches, if you like. Um, so if we were to beat them, then, you know, you start looking forward towards Wembley and thinking, well, if the league form allows to the point where we're, we're still pretty happy with the league position and not being in relegation trouble, then why wouldn't we commit a few more resources to the FA Cup to try and get towards, you know, what would essentially be a, a brilliant kind of, I don't know, exclamation mark, I guess, to to what has already been a, an amazing season. I don't think anyone's expecting us to beat Sevilla over two legs. I think we've got a puncher's chance, um, but they are a significant step up from anyone that we've played in the competition thus far. So obviously as seeds, we, we got a pretty kind group and I think anyone looking at it would say that. And we took advantage and that was great. Um, but we're not expecting to be in the, in the last eight, if we are fantastic. And then you, again, similar to the FA Cup scenario, I guess you, you start to dream. Um, but yeah, I'd say overall everyone's, well, most people are pretty pleased. Some people you'll never please anyway. Um, so they're not worth worrying about, but I think pretty happy Claudio, you know, needs to needs to get his point across. I think what's making some of the fans quite disgruntled at the moment is that he insists that we're playing well, um, even when we're not, which is is a difficult thing to to uh, to keep swallowing when you you look at a performance like the Chelsea game and you think that no, well, we didn't play well um, at all, and he insists that we did, and you know we didn't really have any chances as such to to speak of once we went one goal down. So I'm not sure really how he assessed it that way. Uh, but I think that's just his manner. He is that kind of manager. He doesn't. He's not going to rip it out of the players, especially in a public forum like that. So, yeah, there's work to do. But overall, I think everyone's pretty happy with how we're ticking along at the moment. Yeah. And, and if I recall, you said at the start of the season that despite winning the title, the objective was still 17th. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for, so, yeah. 40 points would be, you know, for me, a satisfactory season. Um, I think it would be a little bit more tilted in the um, Premier League kind of expectations if you like if we had have gone out in the in the Champions League and finished bottom but otherwise I'm sure we'd have been targeting Europa League if we'd have come third so there is still that expectation there of us probably prioritizing that above all else but it, it's a balancing act you know Claudio mm. was in a position where last year we didn't have to do that balancing act we went out of the cups uh, relatively early um, and that gave us very little else to think about but the title, which was fantastic. And obviously that's a huge bearing. And I think potentially you'll see that come into effect um, as the season continues this year uh, with the likes of Chelsea, who are already in a pretty strong position, but also Liverpool. I know they, they didn't have the best result today and the result they would have wanted at Old Trafford getting a one-all draw. But, you know, they are in domestic cup competitions uh, to try and win them. And obviously they got to, uh, you got very, they got very far last year in those. So mm. they'll be targeting them. But again, a lot of the teams around them will be playing midweek in the Champions League. And that may well be where they get their second wind and try and push on towards the top four. 
um, which means probably one of Mourinho or Guardiola will miss out, which will be fantastic entertainment <laughs> um, for, for everyone, I think, bar the supporters of those two clubs. Um, and indeed, the club that does make it into the top four will be able to laugh even more at the other one. Um, but yeah, I think from a Leicester point of view, we're pretty, pretty, pretty solid. Solid if unspectacular, you know, it'd be a kind of five or six out of ten, I suppose, um, at the moment. And then looking forward to the knockout games in, uh, in Sevilla and, and then back at the KP in March. Yeah. Uh, Peter, obviously the objective uh, for you, kind of similar to what Jim said at the start of the season, was 17th, just trying to stay in the Premier League this time. Uh, you're, as you mentioned, your you're level on points with Palace, who are currently out of the relegation zone, but you did mention that kind of murderer's row of matches coming up. Uh, do you think that even if you don't invest, you still have a chance of staying up this season? Certainly got a chance, yeah. I mean, I think at the start of the season, most fans just wanted survival. And they wanted the players to be given a chance to keep us up. In that, again, we wanted to make, well, we wanted to settle the off-pitch turmoil so that the players we did have had every chance to do themselves justice. Now, as uh, Mike Feeling said on television this week, we began the season with 13 fit players and a load of kids, and we brought a few in, um, you know, at the start at the end of the summer. But basically, we're still short on bodies and still short on quality. And as a notoriously bad uh, FA Cup and League Cup side, one of the great contradictions and ironies of our situation is that suddenly we've started playing well in cup competitions. So there we are with a total focus on survival in the top tier. And yet suddenly alongside that, when we've got no players and no squad of, of size, we find ourselves for the first time in our history in the semi-final of the League Cup or the, the EFL Cup. And we're still in the FA Cup and seem to play very well in cup competitions. So there's some real contradictions and ironies there. But I think, as I mentioned in the previous sequence, we do need to buy simply to have numbers available. And of course, when you have the numbers available, you do need some quality in there to be given a chance. I think where we we would be negative about our survival is that we've already played a lot of the fixtures where we needed to take points, if you see what I mean. When you look at the fixtures for Hull City holistically, we've dropped a colossal number of points, regardless of where we appear to be in the table at the moment, in that we haven't taken points, particularly away from home, against sides where we would expect to take points. And that may catch up with us over the next few weeks and indeed in the final half third of the season. Uh, Rather like Leicester, the big thing we need to address is our away form. We have been notoriously bad travellers in the Premier League you know, uh, this is our fifth season in our history in the Premier League, and we've never really got ourselves together in terms of doing ourselves justice away from home. We've had one away victory at Swansea this year, early on, under Mike Feel in his second game. But apart from that, it's been a series of defeats, I think a point at Burnley. And it's not just been that we've lost the games. We have played particularly badly regardless of who we were playing. 
and we need to show a little bit more resilience because at the moment we're in that classic situation where we start a game well away from home, miss a couple of quest- miss a couple of chances, the opposition go down the other end, score a goal, one nil down, and the heads drop, and it's all over. Now, my big hope is that under Marco Silva, who appears to have really got the lads pumped up, that will change. So fans' expectation will be that maybe we won't start winning suddenly away from home, but we're going to make ourselves a lot tougher to beat. And there's been a lot of murmurings about what's happening on the training ground with Marco Silva and quite a few comments that we can't get away with things like that in training anymore. The implication being that perhaps under Mike Phelan and even Steve Bruce beforehand, the training wasn't quite as rigorous as it could have been. And it sounds as if Marco, for the moment at least, is really putting putting them through some pretty rigorous, rigorous training. And this may be having a short-term impact on the pitch. And I hope that continues. So, yeah, in terms of reaching our, our sort of season goal of, of survival. We've surpassed it in terms of our cup performances, but the jury's still out on whether we've a chance to stay up. I think if you if you took a poll of fans, they would say we were sort of 60-40 against survival. And it does hinge, and sorry to dwell on it, it's on the availability of funds, because it was well publicised at the start of the season. We don't have many players, never mind good players. So we rely on a lot. We rely uh, more than most clubs on the small squad we have and the few really good players we possess. So our biggest signing, to use to coin a phrase, in the transfer window would be Robert Snodgrass if we can keep him, because keeping him would be a huge bonus. Similarly, Jake Livermore, who's been linked with a move to Watford. We need to hang on to our best players. We need to acquire two or three more. And then we have a sporting chance of staying up. But I think what happened with the victory over a reasonable Bournemouth side yesterday is that there's just a little bit of belief in the in the fans because we were on a, a slippery slope towards it's all over, we haven't got a chance. And he's he's halted that. And there's now a belief, yeah, that it could happen. A lot needs to change. But uh, there is hope now, rather than just the expectation of, of failure. And alongside that, there's just this hope that, yeah, let's please give us a little bit of money and give us a chance, because uh, we're not that bad a side after all. Mm. Yeah, uh, for Tottenham, uh, if you told me we were going to be in second again at this stage of the season again, I would absolutely have taken that. I mentioned uh, in kind of our season roundup for last season that as painful as that loss to Newcastle was and it made us drop below Arsenal, that I thought long-term that would be a benefit for us. And I think that it has proven to be exactly that. There have been you know, multiple TV stations and radio stations talking about the title chase, and it still seems like everybody is viewing Tottenham as the outsider. Now, I am kind of on the realist side of, of fandom, and so I also think it's a bit of a stretch uh, for us to think that we're going to win the title this season. But the fact that nobody is talking about us in that breath, 
I think very much helps us. I think we do much better when we're kind of flying under the radar. Um, like we were the early match, so nobody really cared yet uh, about the weekend. Then results went our way. Liverpool drawing Manchester United is obviously what vaulted us up to second on goal difference. Um, so love where we are there. The Champions League kind of inverse of Jim's situation. Um, our Champions League performances were very, very disappointing. Um, and the fact that we did not advance to that competition was frustrating for sure. But now we are in a situation where, uh, unlike Peter, who doesn't really seem like we need to worry about the cup competitions. Uh, we're obviously out of the EFL Cup and have been for some time. Um, but for the FA Cup, um, we drew Wickham. So I doubt we see many of our starters there. Uh, in the Europa League, we got Genk. I don't think we're really going to see many of our players there. So... Uh, having this ability to kind of play our second 11 in both of those and then just kind of see where we are. Because if we do advance from the round of 32, if we ended up getting a favorable draw in the round of 16, then maybe all of a sudden, maybe some of those uh, starting 11 players start bleeding into both competitions. But for now, it looks like we're going to be able to just keep playing our Premier League players in the Premier League uh, and basically play our second 11 uh, in the Europa League, which I mentioned at the start of the season. I thought, you know, Obviously, so glad to have been back in the Champions League. The money that that brings in, especially while we're trying to build a stadium, was massive for us as a club. But as for the development of our players, I thought this would have been a great Europa League year because uh, it would give Nkudu, who we signed, a chance to play. Jansen has obviously had horrible struggles since joining the club. You have Onoma, who was basically on the fringes of being a first-teamer last season at times. Uh, get them all playing times. Cameron Carter-Vickers, we need somebody to build up uh, at center-back because we use Dyer in the midfield sometimes, although not so much uh, when we play three at the back. Uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers, I just mentioned, but Kyle Walker-Peters there as well. You have Marcus Edwards, who's about to come back from injury. Oh, and Eric Lamella, who was a lock in our Premier League 11 last season, has been gone for like three months. He's going to return to training, if reports are to believe, this week. Uh, so all of a sudden we need a space for him. Maybe the Europa League is a good chance for him to kind of get get his legs back under him. Um, but if you told me at the start of the season that we would still be top four, that we'd still have a route to Europe, which is the fact that we're at least in the Europa League, at least we didn't finish fourth in our Champions League group, um, still in an FA Cup. I, I, there are plenty of Tottenham fans that uh, still view us kind of as a cup team. Uh, which is understandable. We've had far more success in Cups than we have uh, winning league trophies. But uh, the fact that we're still in with the shout of all of those, I think, is very promising. As I mentioned at the top of the show, um, our young players only continue to develop, only continue to get better. Uh, and our manager, same thing. He's a young manager, also learning uh, the best way to kind of uh, make use of the squad that he has. Uh, it looks like we are going to be uh, bringing in somebody to overlook um, Mauricio Pochettino, some people not loving it, but Sabatini uh, from Roma. Looks like he's going to be our new, if not director of football, whatever the head of our scouting or recruiting uh, team is going to be called now. Um, probably going to be replacing Paul Mitchell, who basically turned in his resignation during the last transfer window, uh, but then said he'd stay on until we had somebody else. Uh, and it looks like it would be Sabatini, which is interesting because he's the one that made all the money off of selling us Lamella in the first place. Um, which was, regardless of how Lomella plays, not that great a deal at the time. But um, as for the health of the club, it's great. We have the new stadium coming. The team's playing well. We're competitive. We're playing great football. It's fun to watch. Not only are we getting results, but it's very fun to watch. Um, yeah, I, I, I could not ask for a whole lot more. Uh, and then the recent results, as I mentioned, against teams that we typically struggle against in Chelsea and West Brom, uh, getting those as back-to-back wins to cap the six-game win streak 
Uh, it makes it a very fun time to be a Tottenham fan indeed. All right, now we're going to hit Player Watch. We're each going to quickly discuss a player that impressed and one that disappointed for us in our most recent fixture. If there's nobody that disappointed, feel free to discuss somebody from the other team that either caught the eye or was horrendous. Uh, we'll lead off with you, Jim. Plenty to pick from in the disappointing category, I'm afraid, Kev. Um, <laughs> 10 of 11. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I'll start with a positive. Um, I've already mentioned him once, but Wilfred and Didi was quite good, I thought, for a, for a home debut. Um, he, he looks to be quite a, a, a well-matured player in the sense that coming in from the, the Belgian league, sometimes you look at these foreign imports who haven't played at such a high level like the Premier League before. And, you know, it can be a little bit hit or miss with settling time. You know, you look at Ahmed Moussa, who's the, probably the perfect example to that in the sense that came in with a very good reputation, has played Premier League football, scored quite a few goals um, at CSK Moscow at a good level uh, in the Champions League, etc. But the domestic situation there isn't particularly strong. He um, has taken a long while to settle and has only really showed flashes of um, anything close to what we expected of him. Um, whereas indeed it's only been two games, so it's very, very early still to call him a, you know, a, a categorical success, but for a guy who, um, seemed to be, um, taken to, to the Premier League, like a duck to water, really, he was very mobile in midfield. I think it helps him that he's been deployed in that three. I think that gets the best out of him. He's not being overrun. Um, like some of the midfield displays that we've seen where Andy King and Daniel Amate have both been kind of left wanting a little bit um, and Danny Drinkwater uh, occasionally, although his injury kind of personified those problems in uh, central midfield. Um, so, yeah, he's looking good. Interceptions uh, and you know a stable passing base allowing Danny Drinkwater to get forward and do what he does best, uh, particularly when indeed he can link up with Mendy and kind of play that two base holding midfielders, I guess. Um, while the, the wingers bomb on, hopefully we deploy that in a 4-3-3 and see it properly rather than mucking around with the defence. Um, I think Moose is probably the player that disappointed me most, probably because we came in to the game with quite high hopes. Like He'd scored two goals against Everton in quick succession. Uh, the second one was a really well-worked move and we thought that might be the, the springboard, the catalyst to him, looking a bit more like the player that we expected when we broke our transfer record for him. Uh, a few months back but yeah he's he's just failing to, to to do anything really he looks short of confidence um despite those two goals and i think he's one of those players that come the summer uh we might actually look to move on i wouldn't be surprised if we we took a, a little hit on a, the transfer fee and tried to get some of the money back for him because in the sense of you know we're just not getting anything close to what we expect and he doesn't seem to know whether he wants to be an out and out winger or play through the middle and that causes problems when he's he's trying to get time um to play and, and wet how he fits in with the system um the one positive i suppose for him in the sense that Riyad Mahrez is away now for probably what will be the best part of a month Algeria one of the front runners in the AFCON so together with Sinemani being away he he does have some opportunity to prove his worth in this January transfer window um, Leonardo Ujoa is being linked to Spain today uh, by a few journalists here in the UK and, and, and is rumoured to be unhappy with the amount of playing time. I can't say I blame him really. He's not had a lot of opportunity this year and he's been a, a very loyal servant to the club since we brought him in a few years back. So it may well be that Musa gets an opportunity to prove me wrong and I hope he does. But yeah, for me, he was probably the most disappointing uh, in a very disappointing display. Uh, fair enough. And Peter? Yeah, I'm going to talk about a few former Tottenham players. <laughs> uh, first of all, on the plus side, uh, Ryan Mason. 
Now, uh, as as you may know, Hull City signed Ryan Mason in the summer transfer window for between 10 and 13 million pounds, which was uh, a record for us, a huge amount of money. And I think he's he's carried that tag for some time and struggled a bit. But there have been signs in the last two weeks or so, and particularly under, under Marco Silva, that Mason's starting to settle. And against Bournemouth yesterday, it was easily his best game. He was industrious, seemed to have been given a free role on occasions, and uh, really got the crowd behind him because he was reaching a point in his career where he was starting to get the bird a little bit from the crowd. And that's not what you want to see when you've got a small squad like ourselves. Just putting it into context, the signings we made, we signed in the summer two youngsters from Manchester United, um, Will Keane and James Weir. Weir hasn't really figured it isn't good enough. It's generally considered at the moment. Will Keane is out for at least the rest of the season. Marcus Henriksen was injured against Manchester United on Tuesday and he's out for three months. Uh, Ember Carney, who we have on loan, is at the African Nations. So of the signings we made, we really need Ryan Mason to be a success. And it's really heartwarming to see him play so well because he really is is needed. On the negative side, one of the most popular players at the club is Michael Dawson. And Michael Dawson has been a model of consistency and leadership since he arrived. But maybe I think in the last few games he's felt the praise. He's recently returned from injury himself and he's carrying an injury at the moment. And I think what we're seeing with his slightly advancing years is that having to play so many games or at least so many games when you're not fully fit does take its toll. And he's not at his best at the moment and he's making mistakes. So I think we have to manage our players very carefully. And I think this is something that the manager is sussing, that perhaps some of our key and most established and better quality players have been given too much of a workload simply because of the size of the squad. So it's a qualified criticism of Dawson, who didn't play particularly well on Saturday. But there are excuses for it, but it needs to be pointed out. And as I say, the point I'm making is when you have a small squad, you can almost visibly see the players are maybe playing a couple of games more than they should. And just to link it into the previous comment I made about our season, when you do get involved in cup competitions, we can't play a totally different eleven when we go down to Fulham for what is quite a demanding FA Cup match. We don't particularly want to throw the game. You know, we want to win it. But it will mean that probably five or six of our first-team squad will have to play that game. I don't know where we'll stand with our new signings, but unless we get more bodies into the building, it will mean that some of our established players do carry a heavy workload. So uh, just want to mention that in the context of Michael Dawson's poor performance. But returning to the positive and, and Ryan Mason, yeah, OK, Hernandez got the two goals and we love him to bits. He's going to play for Marco Silva and he got the starring role. But I wanted to mention Mason because it's important for us 
that he turns that corner. He cost a lot of money. He's got a bit about him. Played very well yesterday. And if we are going to have a chance this season, I think it's players like him that will really have to blossom in the second part of the season. And it was most encouraging to see him play so well against what I must say is a decent Bournemouth side who've surprised a lot of people this season, but are in a dangerous situation themselves because they've they've played particularly well in the first half of the season and threatened even to get into the top 10, the top eight or whatever. But I think they are prime candidates for a plummet. And when you're a, a side like us, you're, you're looking for a side that's going to plummet late in the season down to the bottom. And I think they're one of the possible candidates for that, along with, say, a Watford. Finally, though, returning to the point, as I say, definitely the negative Michael Dawson, but we still love him. And the real big hope, the positive from yesterday, Ryan Mason, who can play in a variety of roles in midfield, can even play as a striker, can play wide on the left or the right. But I think he's best in a free role behind the front two. Sometimes as a defensive midfielder, he's quite versatile. But we just want him to continue his good form. It's vital to us and great to see yesterday. Yeah. Uh, for Tottenham, it's hard to look past Harry Kane scoring a hat-trick. Um, but do credit to Christian Eriksen, who I have said very negative things about on the show in the past. Uh, but this this uh, formation change has not only helped our wingbacks really reach their best potential and Wanyama reach his best potential, but it's also helped uh, Christian Eriksen free up a little bit and really allow him to start creating the way we had seen him in uh, years past. Del Ali also had a, a, a phenomenal match. Uh, did have a goal in the net, but then was called back for offside, rightfully so. Uh, but the finish was just sublime. Uh, the lofted ball to Kane for his assist was beautiful. Uh, and it really looks like he's recapturing that form from last year while also still developing as a player. Obviously, he's crazy young. Um, so seeing that continued development from him was impressive. As I mentioned at the start of the show, this might be the best 90 minutes of football we've played this season. Uh, so very hard to pick anybody out. Maybe Jan for stretching for a ball he didn't need to, hurting his ankle in the process. Uh, on the other side of the ball, though, um, for West Bromwich Albion, I, I was very worried coming into this match. I'd watched probably three of their last four matches. Uh, and they had been in excellent form. Matty Phillips had been on fire. I thought maybe Chadley coming back uh, to White Hart Lane, maybe a little bit of a revenge game there for him. And so I'll say I was disappointed in them. I, I was really looking forward to this match. I thought it was going to be a very close one, maybe a nervous one. Uh, I will never complain about getting a win. Um, but as I mentioned, they didn't even have a shot on target, which which was pretty disappointing um, from a competitive standpoint. Although, again, very nice to have an easy win, uh, but was surprised that we didn't really see much out of either of those players that have been doing very well. Salomon Rondon had been rounding into form, uh, and so just having them offer basically nothing, uh, short of Ben Foster, who was immaculate, um, <laughs> despite having four goals go past him. Um, yeah, very disappointing, uh, basically, from all of West Brom, but specifically Matt Phillips, who I've been uh, upping on this show for quite some time. All right, and that will do it for us today. So if you'd like to tell the folks where they can find you or any projects you're working on, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I'm Jim. You can find me on Twitter at JimNight88. My day job, I'm the gaming content manager for a company called Perform. So we do a lot of betting-related content for sites like Goal.com and Soccerway, where we put out a free weekly betting guide for, for all our uh, members. So if that is something that you'd like to hear more about, then you can uh, check out those various channels. 
Um, otherwise, um, thanks for having me, Kevin. I'll hopefully be back on again soon. Yeah, hi, it's Peter from uh, Tiger Link, Hull City Fans Group. You can get us, uh, check us out at our website, www.tigerlink.co.uk. We're also active on Twitter and Facebook uh, if you just search HCAFC Tiger Link. In uh, terms of projects we're working on, we have a long term project to try and get a statue to Ebenezer Cobb Morley, founder of Modern Day Football, who wrote the rules for football, former secretary of the FA. But in a wider context, I just want to quickly mention the fact that, as you may have seen in some of your national papers, uh, Hull is UK City of Culture 2017. I want to throw a question into you uh, that is sport part of culture? Because whilst Hull has had 250,000 new visitors in the first two or three weeks of, well, first two weeks of 2017, one of the things that we're very disappointed in at Tiger Link is that sport doesn't seem to be included in culture. Does a northern provincial city not have culture in its sport? So uh, that's just a thought for you. Thank you very much, as always, for being involved tonight. Yeah, and uh, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter, at Kevroth. Uh, also host the FPL Roundtable, which tends to go up on Wednesdays. Uh, also part of a duo over at VIPBet.com, where we talk about uh, your DFS lineups for the week. So be sure to go check that out. Uh, and as always, this is also going to go up on AllInSportsTalk.com. And they're at AllInSportsTalk on Twitter and in the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store. So be sure to check that out as well. All right, well, thank you guys so much for listening. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.